The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. And participated in BBS. It was a wonderful program, and I got to see it firsthand myself for the first time and how it's done here at Grace. And I'm very thankful for all the volunteers and some of the things you guys are doing, and definitely kind of out of my zone. I wouldn't be able to do them. So that's the wonderful thing about the body of Christ. We all have different responsibilities, and I'm very thankful for those that you volunteer and participate in those things, because you guys would do a lot better job than I would. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much again for once again letting us gather around your word with brothers and sisters in Christ and study, and today we're going to be talking about making plans, and I ask that you give me your wisdom, that you Fill me with your Holy Spirit, and as I share your word with your people. Amen. So today we're going to speak on the topic of making plans. Because we live in a culture where people are obsessed with the future. We want to know what's in store for us. We all want to know, but there's only one who knows the true future. There's no psychics, no leaf-blowing type of things that can tell us the future. All they can do is predict. As a matter of fact, and, you know, the Bible warns us not to seek uh, what I call those hocus-pocus people because they can just estimate. If you seek a hocus-pocus person, just ask them if they can tell you what you did yesterday. They won't be able to tell you what you did yesterday. But whatever we know it or not, we have a future that we must face and I would like for you to turn to the Word of God, and we're going to be in chapter 4 of James, and we're going to begin reading in verses 13 through 17. And it tells us a story of a man, he's a businessman, he was making plans, he was planning for his future, and we're going to find three great mistakes that he made. We're going to learn from those mistakes, we're going to learn how to face our future, how to make our plans. And not only as a church, but for your family and for you as an individual. And we're going to talk about the mistake of godless planning. We're going to talk about the mistake of dangerous presumptions. And the mistake of foolish postponements. Procrastination. So James chapter 4 verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such city. Spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is a sin. Now, this man is sitting down and obviously right now to plan. In verse 13, it says, Come now, you who say for today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such city, spend the time of year there, buy, sell, and we're going to make a profit. So first of all, he takes his calendar out. He chooses his time. He says, you know, he's, today or tomorrow, he puts X's where he's going to be. This is what I'm going to do the next year. He's not asking God about it. He's not prayed about it. He just assumed that he had 365 days to do what he wished. Then he selects his spot, chooses a time. Then he selects his spot, 
does not say, Lord, where do you want me to go? Where will be more beneficial for you? Contrary, he spit out his map, picked out a city, and said, this is my city. This is where I'm going. It seems wise to me. Then he planned the procedure. The procedure is he's going to sell. That's the business he's going to be. He's going to be a merchant. He's already, let's say, studied the charts, studied trends of economics. He read the Wall Street Journal, read up on the Fortune magazine. He's going to be in a particular business to buy and sell, and he feels quite confident about it. Not only that, but he even planned his profits. He says, we're going to buy and sell, and he's going to go get gain. He's going to get money. It's not prayer, but profits that has this man. He's not interested in the heavenly treasure. He's, not interested, he's more interested in the earthly profits. He has it all mapped out. He's counting the Benjamins before they even get there. Now, naturally, there's nothing wrong with what this man did. There's nothing wrong with planning ahead. There's nothing wrong going in the city. Somebody said, you know, we're all got to be somewhere. There's nothing wrong with business. As a matter of fact, Bible encourages business and productivity. And in this such busy world, we have to plan. It's unavoidable. Our lifestyles are so busy. We have multiple commitments, church, work, family. You know, we sync up our phones and calendars and things like that. There's nothing wrong with profit making. The Bible teaches it's quite all right to make a proper profit. Look at Proverbs 10.4. It says, he who is lack hand becomes poor. He who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent, diligent makes rich. But what we need to remember is Deuteronomy 8.18 where it says, And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers as all his days. There's nothing wrong with planning ahead. If we read Luke 14.28, it says, For which of you, intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost whenever he has enough to finish it. And he explains the story. If you, you know, people will be laughing at you if you don't finish it. You calculate it. You write things down. How, many, how much you know, labor power are you going to need to build a tower? And there's much more text that I could share with you on and on. But Bible encourages it. But here's the thing. This man is going to be a failure. He may be successful. But successful men are often failures. What is failure? Failure is succeeding at the wrong thing. I know a very wealthy man that um, has his own business, has lots of money. Now he's retired, and he considers himself a failure. Why? Because his family is a mess. Kids, drug problems, alcohol issues. He has all the money. Now he spends that money on rehab programs his kids. So failure is succeeding at the wrong thing. Now, all this business and all this planning, there's one big mistake that he made. Verse 13. There's no mention of God. He does not take God into consideration at all. And friends, we talked about prayer. It's our lifeline. But this man never prays to God. He never addresses God. He never spends any time in fellowship with God. He plans his life without any reference to God whatsoever. Now, intellectually, 
we may believe that there is a God. Maybe he does. But practically, he lives his life just like there is no God. It doesn't exist. He relies on his self-sufficiency. He is boasting about what he's going to do. There's no consideration whatsoever instead of a boom that there might be a bust. He doesn't even consider that. And that's why in 16 it says, but your boasting is in all your arrogance. Such boasting is evil. He didn't ask God about it. He didn't say, if the Lord will, we shall do this and that. This man is bragging about something that may never even happen. He didn't take God into consideration, but he didn't even take into consideration the uncertainty of life. He just stood on his two feet, put his big chin out, chest out. I'm going to do this. And I'm going to make profit. And that is tragic for a Christian to do. Sinful, prideful, it's arrogant. There's a poem, it's called Invictus, and maybe some of you heard it, but there's these lines that says, it's not matters how straight the gate are charged with punishment to scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And that's the philosophy of the person who plays God in his own life. The Bible clearly teaches that their steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Ephesians 2.10, I pretty much say this verse in all my sermons so far in the book of James. It says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, those are the works you need to plan for. He planned for us. God prepared before him that we should walk in them. So those are your plans. That's God's plans. Let me give you some verses that clearly show that God has a plan for your life. In Psalm 32, 8, it says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you shall go. I will guide you with my eye. Isn't that a great promise? The all-knowing God, creator, master of the universe, says, I will guide you with my eye. His guidance is going to be kind of guidance that looks over you, looks ahead of you, and looks in you in the face that you might know the will of God. What's the will of God for you, for your shame? It's a shame if you miss God's plan. In Isaiah 30, 21, it says, Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it, whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. God is saying, don't go this way. Go this way. Walk in it. Would you like God to guide your life that way? And John 16, 13 says, However, when the Spirit of truth has come, He will guide you in all truth, for He will not speak of His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you the things to come. We have a heavenly guide. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that lives in every believer. And Romans 8, 14 says, For many as led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So the first mistake is the mistake of what I call godless planning. You don't take God into consideration. You don't take uncertainty of life into consideration. The second mistake is he made a presumption, a dangerous presumption. In verses 14 through 15, he says, Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time, then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. 
This man presumed he had tomorrow. <clears throat> he said, today or tomorrow? But God said, you're be very foolish to plan for tomorrow. He said, your life is like a vapor. We could see that man was already counting his profit. He was counting his chickens before they even hatched. And we say there are many slips between the cup and the lip. We don't know what's going to happen. Don't boast about tomorrow. We need to understand that life is very, very fragile. Very fragile. We read in Luke 12, 16, 20, there's a parable Jesus spoke of of a certain rich man. And look, look at this man. It pretty much sounds very familiar. Then he spoke a parable to them saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And though he with himself saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will put down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, So you have many goods laid up for many years. Take ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. And then, whose will these things that which you have provided, who are they going to be for? What are you planning? This man too made plans. And you don't see God anywhere in the picture. Sounds like the unholy trinity, right? I, I, me, myself, and I. I will. I will. And when we do that, friends, we sound just like the devil. Why? Because that's what the devil did. If we read in Isaiah 14, 13, 14, it says, For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit in the mount of congregation at the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. But God is saying, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. You know, the Bible says that clearly that an atheist is a fool. A fool said there is no God. But let me tell you something. The biggest fool is the man who says there is, not the one that says there is no God. Is the one that says there is a God and doesn't live like it. 2 Peter 2.21 says, For it will have been better for them not have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. See, they, they admit the God theoretically, but they live their lives as Jesus Christ never lived, never, never died, never rose again. They take their own wit, their own ambition, their own arrogance. They plan their lives. But the Word of God clearly tells us Proverbs 27.1, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what the day may bring forth. We need to remember in Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 29.15, it says, For we are aliens and pilgrims before you, as were all our fathers, or our days on earth, as a shadow and without hope. Psalm 102.11 says, My days are like a shadow that lengthens and wither away like grass. Do you guys hear what James is saying to us? That there's no assumption. We should never make an assumption that we have tomorrow. See, as I preach, I should preach as a dying man. Because this may be the last sermon I ever preach. When you listen, you should listen as a dying man. Because this may be the last sermon you ever hear. Life is so precious. It's so fragile. 
We don't know what tomorrow brings. But so many people say, I'm young. Who considers themselves young? Pretty much all, right? But you see, the Bible teaches us, we count our, how do we count our years? By our birthdays, right? But the Bible teaches us to number our days. There are many people today who consider themselves young and they have a long life ahead of them. And just like we did now, you take a group of 20-year-olds and say, who's young? Pretty much everybody would raise their hand, I would think. But the problem is, and I was thinking about this, you can't measure your age by your birthday. Some probably going, some of you are happy. See, if you're 35 and you're going to die when you're 40, you're pretty old. If you're 35 and I'm going to die when I'm 90, I'm still pretty young. You can only measure how old you are by the time you have left before you die. Kind of like, you know, I thought I got a deal on a gallon of milk. Put it in the fridge and, you know, for a dollar I got a gallon of milk. That's awesome. Two days later I went to drinking and it tasted kind of nasty. Well, it's two days old, right? Well, no. I looked at the carton and it had the expiration date on it. It's past the expiration. But unlike milk that has the expiration date written on the bottle or the carton, no one knows their expiration date. No one. So really nobody knows how, who's young and who's old, right? Step out behind a parked car, another one hits you, you're gone just like that. You know, there's a story in Luke 13. I'll just read one verse, 13 Verse 4, and Jesus says, Are those 18 whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think that they were worse than sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? You know, I got to thinking, these 18 people, when they got up this morning, did they know the tower is going to fall on them? Did they plan that? I'm sure they had plans, but that wasn't one of them. Take a big story that everybody knows, Titanic. I think when people boarded that ship, they knew that would be the last time that they'll set foot on soil. I don't think so. But I'm sure they had big plans once they reached their destination, where are they going to go and what are they going to do? But they never got there. You know, strategy a little bit closer that we can all relate to, 9-11. Do you think those people going into work in the morning planned, hey, I'm going to jump out the window today from one of the towers. I'm going to go in and wait for the airplane to come in and hit me. You think they planned that? No. But I think they all planned what they were going to do after work. Some maybe pick up their kids from soccer practice. Somebody might plan to take their wife to dinner or something. We all have plans. But we don't know how God's plans are. That's why we must include them. You know, there was another, Sergei Gerinkov, and I know I'm reading up some Russians. He's a famous ice skater. See, when, and say what you will, <laughs> but to be an ice skater, you have to be physically fit. Him and his wife were pairs of ice skaters, and they were on top of the world. 
Soviet Union fell apart now. They got gold medals. They got world championships. They got a resume. Very good. Now they're in America. They can finally make some money in the sport. So they went to practice. Husband's 28. Very fit. Put on his skates. He went on there. His wife was still putting on her skates. He did a flip and fell down. Well, everybody falls down. When she put on her skates, she skated out there, and guess what? He's dead. Heart start beating. 28 years old. He had plans. He just came to America. He had plans. You see, when a baby is born and that heart starts beating in that womb, in the mother's womb, then it comes out, then the boy grows up, maybe gets married, that heart's still beating. Then he has kids, then he has grandkids. Then he has heart trouble, maybe goes to a doctor, gets a heart pacemaker or whatever, gets some medicine. Then he has some more trouble, and he's old, and then the heart starts beating. But you see, the thing is, the heart stops beating in the mother's womb. It can start beating in the playground. It can start beating in the football field. It can start beating in church. It can stop beating anywhere. You know, a lot of us have a, what you guys say is a one foot in the grave and the other on a banana peel. We just don't know it. We don't know So Matthew 6.34 tells us, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Tomorrow may never come. We don't like to think about it. I'm not trying to depress you. But tomorrow may never come. What you get is always today. The only day you ever have is today, isn't it? When tomorrow comes, it's today. Tomorrow is a time only on the fool's calendar. In business terms, it says yesterday is a canceled check, tomorrow is a promissory note, today is the only cash you have. So we need to live our lives trusting in the Lord. What is your life? It's a vapor. What's a vapor? It just vanishes away. And friends, I shared a statistic with you before, a study was done. And I think you all know that statistic came to the conclusion that one out of every one person dies. We just don't know when, where, and how. So we need to realize as Christians, when we make plans, we need to make them with God. Why? Because God has a plan for your life. He has a plan for your education. There's nothing wrong with education. God can use that to progress His work here on earth. God has a plan for your marriage. God has a plan for your family. You see the word life itself? If you work in the middle, what are the two words in the middle? Or two letters in the middle? If. If. So that's what James is saying in 4.15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live, do this or that. You know, when Paul wrote his letters, if you pay attention how he wrote them, I want, there's plenty, but I want, just want to give you three ex examples and see how Paul, was, was he making plans on his own? I'm going to go here, preach, you know, spread the gospel. I'm going to go do this, do that. 
or he had God. He took in God into consideration. Look at Acts 18.21. But to flee from them, I must be, oh, by all means, keep this coming feast in Jerusalem. I got to go to Jerusalem. But I will return again to you. Why not end it there and say, and he sailed from Ephesus? No, he said, I will return to you, God willing. In 1 Corinthians 4.19 says, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills. And I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. In 1 Corinthians 16.7 says, for I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. But you see, so many of us make plans and we say, Lord, here are my plans. I want you to bless them, right? Sometimes that's what our prayers are. Like a young man said, I need a wife. God, give me any wife you desire as long as it's married. So we have something that we want to do and we ask God to plan and change his plans to us. When we should really be saying, Lord, help me. Help me do what is your blessing. What do you want me to do? What is your will? And God has a plan for you. Have you ever wondered, it would be so wonderful if I just knew God's will for my life? He would just write it all down and tell me and lead it. Tell me what to do. I'm going to give you three words how you can know the will for your life and what you must do. You know, we talked about prayer and how we should approach prayer. Prayers, don't think you're going to live a sinful life and then you expect God to answer your prayers. So almost in anything that we do when we approach God, there must be confession. Do you understand that? There must be confession. First word is confession. Confess every known sin. Get the sin out of your life. When you pray for guidance, you're still harboring sin in your life. He's not going to guide you. We discussed that last Sunday. He's not going to answer your prayers. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. But in 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when we approach God with anything, there must be confession. Analyze your heart. Here's this frightening verse in Ezekiel 14.3 says, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their hearts and put before them the which causes them to stumble into iniquity. Should I let myself be inquired of it all by them? What's an idol? Some people think an idol is something you build out of bricks and stones and you bow down to it, maybe. But that's not always it. That's not always it. We have idols made out of fiberglass, stainless steel, plastic metal, you name it. Whatever it is, it could be your family, it could be your business, it could be your recreation. We set up idols in our hearts and we put a stumbling block of iniquity before our face. And then it says, should I let myself be inquired of them by them? What does that mean? It means if you have an idol in your life, forget about asking God to lead you. Ask your idol. Remember the kid that had a diploma and he was calling his dad? What should we do in the mining? Well, ask your diploma. Stick that diploma down there. The hole. Why would you ask me? You set up these idols. Right? You love them more than you love me, so ask them for direction. Second is consecration. You got to get all the stubbornness out of your life. 
Proverbs 3.6 says, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Now it means, Lord, I acknowledge your right to rule over my life. There's no sin. There's no stubbornness. I want to desire your will. Whatever if you want me to do, I'll do it. Anytime, anywhere, any place. God, use me as your servant. I'm yours to command. Now I'm going to ask you a serious question. Not just one of those questions like rhetorical or whatever. Have you done that? Have you done that? Have you really? I think most of us are afraid to pray that prayer. And I'm guilty of it too. Have you said, Lord, I want your will, nothing else, any cost, any place, any time, your will, dear God? Have you signed a contract, blank contract, and have God filled it in? Have we done that in our lives? Lord, I'm under your control. There's no stubbornness. There's no more weight. Let me take care of this first. Go straight, do God's will when he tells you to do it. And the third thing is concentration. What I mean by that is, are you listening to the voice of God? Are you praying? Are you reading the word of God? Does God say, I will guide you with my eye? Are you turning your ear to God? What he's telling you, not what you want to hear. You know, play a radio, for example, in the car. Turn the radio off. Is the music no longer there? No, it's still there. still going on. You just chose not to listen to it. And sometimes we do that when God's speaking to us. We don't like what we hear or something like that. We just turn it off. But the music is still there. Now, we need to remember, he's not going to give you a roadmap. He's going to give you more of a relationship than a roadmap. He's going to tell you, trust me. Sometimes that's all you're going to get. And you have to go with it. And the third mistake here I want to address is foolish postponements. Procrastination. And James 4, 16, 17 says, But now you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it's a sin. So this person who boasts about something, he thinks he already has it, but he doesn't really have it. You live in an unreal world if you're boasting about tomorrow. Any person that goes through life without God is just like this. He lives, he plans, he's thinking, he controls his life and the future. We think we're self-sufficient, but a thousand things can happen and change our plans. You can get injured, you can get sick. A loved one may die. You may get fired from your work. And here you are, you just bought a boat, right? You thought you were going to pay it off with all the income that you're going to get. Maybe you had stocks and the stocks crashed. You were rich, now you're poor. So such boasting, such pride and arrogance are evil. Why? Because it's man's ability to life. We need to understand God is in control, not us. It's evil because I think I'm in control of my own destiny. I'm going to do this. And it's foolish. When you do that, you try to take over God's position. Let's put it that way. And you know, sometimes we boast, and mostly it's pride. And there is a uh, fable story about a fox and a crow, and we have it in Russian and we have it in English. 
You know, a fox was walking through the woods and a crow had a cheese in its mouth. And the fox wanted the cheese because it was so hungry. So he thought I was going to go and insult the crow. And when I'm going to start throwing insults, the, you know, the crow will start to defend itself and it'll drop the cheese. Well, the crow never took the bait. It never took the bait. So the fox said, well, let's take a different approach. And it said, well, crow, you know, out of all the birds, you have the most beautiful voice I've ever heard. Can I just hear one note? Can you sing something for me? Because it's so beautiful. And the crow was so prideful, opens up its, and lets out a quack. <laughs> and the cheese drops. And that's how we are. Boasting will not keep, only keep you from gaining, but it will cost you what you have. Don't boast. It's tragic for us to know the will of God. And we do. And not do it. And Luke 12, 47 says, And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. See, there's a responsibility. We are responsible to obey what we know, and if we fail to do so, we sin. So that's why I was telling you previously, don't ask God for more to open up more if you're not doing whatever he already told you to do. He's not going to do it. He's not. It's a greater sin to fail to do what you should be doing than not do what you don't know what you're supposed to be doing. Procrastination is nothing new. Friends, if we know that end of life is coming, we just don't know when it may come sooner than later, we are fools not to prepare. We know it's coming. And two areas of life we should be doing good that it talks about here is a matter of, one, is a matter of salvation. You know, the pits of hell, and again, not depressing you, but it's full of people that said, I will do it later. It's full of people that said, I'll do it tomorrow. But 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, for he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you. In the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. To do good. Today, not tomorrow. You see, a man goes to hell for, not for what he does it, He'll miss heaven because of something he doesn't do. What doesn't he do? John 3.18 says, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Not because of lies, not because he steals, not because of adultery. And when Christ returns and becomes the judge, not as a Savior, when he returns, he's going to be the judge. What is the one sin that he's going to hold people accountable to. It's not because of, hey, I stole or committed adultery or whatever. What does the Bible tell us? John 16, 8, 9 says, And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, what? Because they do not believe in me. That's it. You see, but if we say we believe, then all the rest of the stuff comes in. This is where we got to do the good works. And again, works don't save you, but the works he has prepared for us. That's what believing means. And that's what James is talking about the entire five chapters about practical 
Christianity, putting your faith into action. But because they do not believe. I read an illustration that said a certain king sent out for his court jester, a little clown. You know, back in the days they had little clowns that entertained the kings, and he liked them so much, he said, hey, here's a stick, a golden stick. And he said, when you find a bigger fool, meaning somebody funnier, give him this stick. And then the king was passing away, and he called the clown again. Maybe he can cheer him up. And the clown came, and he says, he laughed, and then he says, you know, I'm preparing to go into a new land. And the fool says, well, what has my king done to prepare to go into this new land? And he said, nothing. So the clown took the stick and gave it to the king. He said, I found a bigger fool than me. Because I trifle with things of time, you are trifling with things of eternity. My friends, number one, come to God. That's the, that's the good. And number two, it's a matter of service. We put off what we know we should be doing, Lord's work, and it's sin. We are to obey God's commands. Time to witness, time to preach, time to worship is now, not tomorrow. John 9, 4 says, I must work for the works of him who sent me while it is day. Why are you still here? This is when the work needs to be done. The night is coming when no one can work. The time to, good, to do good is now too. Proverbs 3, 27, 28 says, Do not withhold good from those whom it is due. Whenever it is the power of your hand, do so. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Friends, I think you all kind of get the point, so I don't want to beat a dead horse. But in closing, I do want to read this. I want to take it through all the sermons that we had for James, all we heard. And again, I don't know how you live your lives. I don't know every single one of you that well. But Matthew 7, 26, 27 will hold you, everybody, accountable. And it says, but everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat the house and it fell. And great was its house. We need to surrender to God's will. Remember when Isaiah said, here I am, send me. To him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it's a sin. So godless planning, prideful presumptions, sinful procrastinations are three big enemies that will keep you from being a grown Christian and will keep you out of fellowship with Christ. I'll share you something about plants. My wife knows, my father knows. I never planned to be up here. I was scared. Some of you know I didn't want to even discuss the topic. But you see, I made plans. Spend more time with family, travel more, go on vacations more. I made plans. But at the same time, I'm not foolish enough that I understand God's plans are bigger than mine. 
And I don't know what he has in store, but you have to submit to them. Maybe it's just your part, just this little thing. Maybe you're just watering the seeds. Somebody else is going to come back and grow it further. I don't know. But friends, one thing you cannot do is call Jesus your Lord and still run your life. Have you fully surrendered to Christ? Do you call him Lord and Savior, but is he really? Tomorrow may never come. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your wonderful word that reminds us, yes, we are to make plans. Plan ahead in and, and business and family and the future and education, but we should never leave you out of our plans. For you are the one that holds tomorrow. You know what's best for us. And let our prayers be that your will be done and not ours. And I pray for everyone in this congregation, God. You know all the pain, sufferings, and all the happiness in each heart. And I ask for you to bless them. Bless each one of us. You know there's family struggles that might not be said. There's family members that do not know Christ. And I pray for those that they come to your salvation. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.